Hello, everybody. It's Hope, and I am so excited to share with you that the Simply Pro-Life Teen event is happening again this October 14th. This is an opportunity for young people like you to simply get involved. You will hear amazing speakers talk on topics such as knowing your rights on public campuses, sidewalk advocating, and much more. You will also have the opportunity to get directly involved with pro-life organizations, national and local. On top of all of that, you will be able to connect with other young people local to the area and get involved together. As if that weren't exciting enough, we will also have unlimited tacos and, according to Eric Scheider, the best donuts on the planet. There will be a photo booth, games, raffles, and much more. This event is happening October 14th from 10 a.m. until 3 p.m. in Barrington, Illinois. You can view the link in the description of this show to purchase your tickets today and to get more information. And for listeners exclusively, you can use code PODCAST, all caps, for 10% off your ticket today. That's code PODCAST for 10% off your ticket today. So check the link in the description below. And guys, I'm so excited. So I hope to see you there. million lives have been lost due to abortion. Millions of mothers led astray by the abortion industry. Divorce, sex trafficking, and infertility are at an all-time high. Entering into a movement where this is the evil we face can seem extremely difficult. But I believe that great change is simply a series of small things done consistently. Together, we will learn how to do the small things for the pro-life movement. And together, we will end abortion one baby step at a time. I'm your host, Hope, and this is the Simply Pro-Life Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another week of the Simply Pro-Life Podcast. I am so excited to be here today with somebody who is incredibly influential on my pro-life journey in regards to education. So today we have on Seth Dreyer, and he is the, I believe, vice president of Created Equal. Okay, it looks like I got that right. I got a head nod. Um, But actually, back when I was, you know, around 13, as the story goes, I was doing a lot of research on uh, pro-life activism, the pro-life movement in general, just trying to get more involved uh, and understand it better. And one of my key resources, like I would say even above live action, was Created Equal. I just watched their videos for hours. And so it's really cool to have Seth on today to talk more about his involvement because he was such an influential part um, on me getting involved. And actually, Seth gives this really good talk. This was a number of years back um, at the, I think it was like the National Cemetery of the Unborn or something along those lines where he quotes um, Leaflet 4, which is a leaflet left during the Holocaust by a group of people. I think it was called the White Rose or something along those lines. My memory is kind of foggy because it was like five years ago this all happened. But I've quoted that leaflet a number of times in the speeches that I've given. So it's just kind of cool to learn so much from Created Equal, from Seth. So I'm very excited to have him on today. Hey, it's a privilege to be here, Hope. I'm just so excited for your podcast, all you're doing and your effort to equip people to do simply things, simple things that can change the culture. So thank you for having me here. Thank you. I appreciate that. You got that down really well. <laughs> so Seth, what was your first real tug to get involved in the pro-life movement? So it's funny. I think I would actually credit something that was not involving abortion at all. When I was in high school, I was a student in a, we had, a, it was a history class and we were watching this movie called the Ernest Green story. I don't know if you've ever heard of Ernest Green, but it was made for TV movie, I think maybe made by Disney way back in the day. 
You probably heard though about the Little Rock Nines. These were nine African-American students during the era of segregation in America. They were integrated into a white high school in Little Rock. Now, as you can imagine, middle of the 20th century, uh, where you had these white, these black students coming to a white high school. This is a very volatile situation. These black students coming in, as the movie shows, in our history class, they were showing us this movie of these kids being integrated into the white school. And it was very shocking to see. As I watched this, I just kept, I saw these white kids screaming at these kids with black skin, hateful, horrible things like, go home to Africa. And I remember thinking, what would I have done had I been there? Now, this was not about abortion at all. But I remember thinking, what would I have been the kind of average white person who was hateful and mean toward the black student who was fully human, just with different color of skin? Or would I have been that rare white person who said, welcome to my school and extended a, a loving hand to them? And I don't know for sure. None of us can go back and be there. I don't know for sure what I would have done. But I knew what I should have done and what every other white kid should have done. And that is to be loving to those who are clearly human, but just look different from you. That's irrelevant to their human value. And so that was not about abortion, but it really influenced my, I guess you could say, moral imagination, that I really wanted to be aware of those who were human, just like me, but just simply different and, and outcast from society. Around the same time, I was, um, my aunt was taking her kids who were homeschooled to go to an abortion facility in Fort Wayne, Indiana, near where I lived. And she started telling me about what they were experiencing there. And I thought, well, I've got to go see this too. Like, I'm, I'm curious. I knew what abortion was. There really no really... I'd never been to a facility before. I don't think at that point I hadn't really seen abortion victims themselves. And I started going to this abortion facility, seeing moms and dads go in. And, and as you know, um, when someone goes to get an abortion, it's not the best day of their life. They're not skipping happily joyful into it. And soon after that, I saw video of abortion victims and myself for the first time. And I was just utterly astounded by it. And I thought, well, this is my chance. I had, Ernest Green's story showed me people fighting for those who were different for them or who should have cared for them and didn't. And now I was seeing pre-born babies who were being killed, their parents in need, and I thought, this really is my chance. I don't know what I would have done in Little Rock had I been in that high school, but I know today what I should do, and that is that these babies are humans just like us, and if I do nothing, I'm just like the white kid who is being hateful toward the black kid. I must be different. So that was my first tug, I think, just that I wanted to be different in some way, and abortion is my chance to really do that, to care for those who are humans like us but look different. Wow, that is really interesting. And it's a very um, interesting correlation between the two, but it's exactly right. Is this whole idea of the pro-choice movement is that, you know, they can't see them, they're in the womb, or they look different than us, or they're smaller than us. And so their life isn't as valuable. And that's just not the case. But we see that all throughout history. I mean, we see it with the Holocaust, we see it with slavery. I know there's a couple other instances as well. But it's kind of interesting because um, when I was younger, I was frustrated by taking history classes. Many children are. And so I asked my mom once, you know, why do I have to take this class? And she was like, well, history is important so we can look back and learn from history. And it's so interesting to me that there are so many instances just like abortion and we're still not learning, except we look back on those instances are just and disgusted by them. Like, oh, I would have never participated. But we are right now. There is another one happening. And, um, and yeah, we're going to look back on this one too and be disgusted by it. And we're going to be the people right. who are active in ending it. You are so right. I mean, it's been said history doesn't exactly repeat itself. It echoes. And you can see these echoes throughout time that the Nazi Holocaust, the Rwanda genocide, these are not these same instances. But there's this echo of some humans looking at humans who are different saying you don't matter like we do. They call them dehumanizing terms. The, the um, Nazis called the Jewish parasites. 
in, in Rwanda, the Hutus called the Tutsis cockroaches. You have time and time again, they look at humans who are fully human, no doubt, but they're different in some way by skin color, ethnicity. They dehumanize them with their language and then they dismiss them and kill them. Same thing's happening today, right? We look at the babies in the womb and say, yeah, we know you're human scientifically, but you're different. You're smaller, less developed, in a different environment, more dependent. So you're not really a person like we are. You're kind of like a parasite, right? So we use that similar language. You're exactly right. And hopefully one day we will look back on this, but no question. And that is that we, right now, we have this chance to be on the side of truth and justice, no matter what happens in the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. That was very well said as well. I'm totally with you on that. So the first couple years of your activism, what did that kind of look like? Obviously, we see how, you know, you got your first hug to get involved, but then what did you do with this new passion? Yeah, so I was a youth minister uh, back in Indiana. So I was still in Fort Wayne area. So a little closer to where you are, but, but still not right next door, right? And so I was at a church where my youth group, uh, they were very pro-life. We cared about things. We went to here, Scott Klusendorf teach us, Scott being the president of Life Training Institute, that's where we learn how to communicate, how to communicate the pro-life case very easily. As all of your listeners know, Hope, we know that abortion is wrong because it purposefully kills innocent humans. And so through this general principle and culture, we all agree it's wrong to purposefully kill innocent humans. That's why school shootings are wrong. That's why genocide is wrong. It's always wrong because you're purposefully killing an innocent human. And that's what abortion does. So we know that's the reason abortion is wrong. And we know they're humans because dead things don't grow and the baby's growing, therefore she's alive. And we also know she must be human. She can't be a feline or canine. All living things belong to the same species as their parents. So we went to hear Scott Kusendorf speak. We learned things like this, the scientific evidence for the baby's humanity. We also learned how to communicate that she's no less of a person than you and I, because again, she's different. I admit, you know, Hope, you and I are different, right? We're different environments right now. You're, you're home, I'm at my office in, in Ohio. Um, you're a woman, I'm a man. So we have differences here, but these differences don't change our value. We're equally human. And the same with a baby. She is smaller, less developed, in a different environment, more dependent than we are. There's the acronym SLED, size, level, development, environment, degree of dependency. These four differences between preborn humans and born humans. Scott would teach us these things like, yeah, those differences, they're there. They don't make you less of a person. Men who are taller than women aren't more of a person than women. It's just a difference in how they look, right? It's irrelevant. So we learned all these apologetics that we weren't really using until in Indiana for the first time, the state mattered politically because it was a time when Barack Obama was running for president and there was hope he could flip the state blue and get uh, Indiana to vote Democratic and he did. But what this meant was Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, all running for president came to my hometown of Indiana. So my youth group and I went out to stand outside the rallies and we just talked to people. We had signs, we talked to people. And for the first time I saw really, as you said, activism, not just the head knowledge apologetics, but activism where you have pro-life people talking to pro-choice people, dialogue back and forth and re- change happening and I was just I was sold on I thought that's what I have to do I love knowing why abortion is wrong I love teaching people that but what I love most is talking to those who are on the fence or who are not sure and changing how they think and feel about abortion to really like with your podcast to bring real change so that mothers and fathers would no longer kill their children so it was really life-changing for me I found my mission where I love being in the trenches talking to people changing how they think and feel about abortion Wow. Yes. And so how to create a creativity? Because it sounds like, sorry, I just tripped over my words. So you were outside uh, protesting, basically, uh, this this conference with with Barack Obama. And and that's kind of um, you, you know, you said you had your signs. Were they abortion victim signs or just what kind of signs? So they weren't. I had signs that say abortion kills children left over from the old rescue movement, which, you know, well, from your your grandfather. Right. Uh, So. 
And that's the signs that I had. And I remember distinctly, someone told me, thank you for not having those ugly pictures, a pro-choice person. And I thought, oh, wait, why wouldn't I have them here? I had never thought about having them there. At the same time, then Mark Harrington, our president, was already doing his style of outreach using abortion victim photos. And that's when I came to Ohio. I saw him, met him for the first time at Ohio State University. And I saw it was even the next level to what I was doing. So when I was there with my science saying abortion kills children, I saw my youth group, their pro-life apologetics became more important to them. Their faith became more important to them because they were defending it for the first time, advancing a case, not just sitting in a room believing it, but advancing their case with those who disagree. But when we started using the abortion victim photos, I saw a next level change because people couldn't say, that's just your opinion. They were looking at the face of a dead baby themselves, seeing the objective evidence. And I saw people actually start to change their thinking, not just get mad, but actually have real change. Wow. Wow. So it sounds like when you were outside of that conference, you were doing something very similar to what you do now with Created Equal. So how did you go from that, that conference or yeah, protesting that uh, to meeting Mark to were you part of starting Created Equal or did you hop on board? What did that kind of look like? Yeah, so I was introduced to Mike, I'm sorry, to Mark by Michael Spencer, who's my father-in-law. So the same, at this time, I was still a youth minister engaged to Mike's daughter and Mike Spencer, who leads a merely human minister, I'm sorry, leads a Project Life Voice. He, um, he, he had met Mark Harrington, had done some of his outreach using abortion victim photos. He thought that I would really enjoy being part of that. So he invited me to meet Mark. And Mark was at the time with the Center for Bioethical Reform. And so I moved to Ohio. I was sold on the mission because, again, I saw that when you show someone abortion victim photos and have a reasonable case to, to articulate with that why abortion is wrong and you can answer objections they have, I saw that it really does change how people think and feel about abortion because we don't want to just change their thoughts. We want to really change their feelings. Like if I say the word sex trafficking to any of your listeners, folks, they're disgusted immediately and they ought to be. We should have the same gut instinct, disgusted response when we hear abortion. And when they see abortion, it creates that response in them. They ought to have that disgusted response with abortion, genocide, anytime you're purposefully harming or killing innocent humans, we ought to respond with that way. And so I saw what Mark was doing, came to join him with the Center for Bioethical Reform. And about the next year, he and I departed CBR, that organization, to start Creative Equal. Mark's really the founder. I was a new guy on the block, new kid on the block. So I didn't have a lot to bring with it, but I was with him when he started Creative Equal. We built it from the ground up um, in 2011. So we've been in existence for now about 12 years as, wow. a, as an organization. That's awesome. And what are some of the accomplishments that you and Created Equal and Mark have have uh, accomplished? <laughs> yeah, well, so I mean, we started in his basement um, with just the two of us. We now have a staff of, I don't know, about 14 people now. But so it's a great accomplishment is seeing our team grow as more people come and become excited about the mission we are doing. We are always looking to hire more people because we want people who are committed to doing what is very, very hard, the hard work of digging down the trenches, going to the streets, going to college campuses, talking to people, showing the reality of what abortion is, showing the victims not being embarrassed or ashamed to do that, but also able to communicate lovingly the reason why abortion is wrong. We share a very ugly truth, but we do so lovingly. So that accomplishment has been growing our staff. We, we also have people go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash films. You can watch our videos, videos like you watched years ago, Hope, when you were new in the movement. You can see some of our biggest accomplishments clearly are videos of babies who've been saved by saved from abortion. We, we're known for going to college campuses. We also go to abortion facilities, stand outside and share hope with people because many people going into there 
they feel like they need an abortion. They don't really need an abortion, but they have a perceived need for it. We can offer them help and resources to remove that felt need for abortion. And so if you watch our videos, you can see the babies that have been saved. And that's really a great accomplishment I would like to point to. So, I mean, that is there. And that's probably, of course, the biggest one. But I would say, you know, when you think of like maybe what might be unique to Create Equal, one of our accomplishments may be when you see people who are the most hard-minded abortion advocates, even they have sometimes changed their minds. Because usually people who are ardently for abortion, they're not willing to change. But we've been in places uh, like maybe you've been there, Hope, to the so-called Women's March. The first year they had one, the year after President Trump was elected, you had over half, about half a million people in D.C. And we were there with our team. In the middle, we had like 20 people with half a million people surrounding us. That was a shocking moment. But the next, the next year we went back, again, had our signs showing babies killed by abortion, also those growing in the womb. And you had people there with their pink hats, their ardent, hard-lined abortion advocates shouting, screaming, my body, my choice, all kinds of hateful things. But there was one really shocking interaction. This mom with a pink hat shaped like a cat. Um, it was a symbol of the pro-choice movement, the pro-abortion movement. She was there with her five-year-old and she was chanting all these pro-abortion slogans. And her five-year-old saw a picture that we had of a baby killed by abortion. The kid stopped, pointed and said, why? The mom just kept chanting the baby, the, the five-year-old said, why? And the mom said, you know, let's go over here away from that. The, the kid said, no, no mom, why? And pointed at the dead baby. The mom just tried to say, you know what, it's not a big deal. And the baby, kept, the kid kept saying, why, 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 several times. Eventually, the mom and kid were both in tears. The mom got on her knee, hugged the child, took off her pink hat, and said, we're baby, we're go baby, we're going home. And they left. Now, she didn't tell us I'm now pro-life, but she left this ardent rally. She's a hardline abortion advocate because her kid saw the reality of abortion. And the mom saw abortion again through her child's eye, which is that this is indefensible. So I would say one of our big wins that we've had is this people who you think would never change their mind who still do, because change hope as your name, hope is still possible. We still have hope today. You might think it's black and dark, but even the hardest people still sometimes do change their minds. And we've seen that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a theme that I've been seeing recently is, um, and people have been saying is that the battle's already won. The fight's already won because we have gotten our side. And I think even the most pro-abortion people out there, I mean, even, what's his name? Dr. Nathanson, maybe? Okay. Um, yeah. The abortionist? Yes. Even he changed his mind. Many abortionists have changed their mind. Many pro-choices. So I think that there is still hope for every single very aggressively pro-choice person. Uh, some people obviously are a little further away than others, but I think there's hope for every person. And that story is exactly that because you're telling me she's wearing that. And I know what that pink hat stands for and it's kind of gross. And so same, gross. same thing with them, but she's, she's sees this sign and, and I'm sure she in her head just kind of blocks it out. Like I'm, I'm sure that's, she just wants to ignore it, whatever it may be. And I think it's so funny because I'm not sure if you know this, but my grandfather, he would do those, um, he would show those photos. So we would do the Face the Truth tour and he would take those photos. And for about 10 days, we would go to three sites a day for an hour and a half showing those types of photos in the Chicagoland suburbs, a little bit downtown. And they get people so mad, the, the abortion victim photos do. And a big, big reason for a lot of people's anger, especially in the town that I live in, um, because that is a lot of families, the moms get so, so angry because um, on behalf of their children, saying that their children are going to be scarred and traumatized by this. And like, 
we've seen that that's just not the case. I mean, I grew up around these photos. I'm not traumatized. Same with my seven other siblings and like all of my cousins. And we weren't, and many of my friends, and we weren't traumatized by these. Instead, it just made us really sad because every single one of us was born into a loving family who was really excited about a baby, a new baby being born. And and it was heartbreaking that somebody would ever want to do this to a little baby. And so it's really interesting that that, that story, I feel like, is the peak kind of argument when people say that these photos are going to be traumatizing to children and you should get rid of them. But in reality, kids are just, they're born with, I think, this like empathy and it's not, yeah, it's really eye-opening. Exactly right, Hope. But I have five kids at home and my kids have been to various events of ours and they've seen them. And every time our kid, when they're like three years old, they walk up to sign and just say baby and point and they like blow kisses to the baby. They, they get as a child, right? You're right. They're not traumatized. When I see a kid traumatized, when their parents are shouting, screaming, cussing, that freaks them out. And rightfully so, right? That would freak me out too. But they're not terrified by the abortion. They're saddened. They have empathy, as you say. And years ago, Time Magazine, on a totally different topic, kind of covered this when in 2010, they had a a cover uh, photo on their magazine of a girl named Aisha with her nose and ears cut off by the Taliban. And they were exposing injustice against women in uh, certain cultures. And people were upset because this was on the cover of Time Magazine in grocery stores that would be stacked there where people are walking by with their children. And they said, well, you know, we, call, we consulted with child psychologists and they say the kids will not be traumatized. They'll say, you know, why this happened to her. And they'll have concern for her, but not be traumatized. And they also said at the end of the day, what's happening to women is so important. We've got to expose it no matter what would happen. I kind of agree. Like, I've never seen a kid traumatized by an abortion photo. Never have. I don't think it's going to happen. But I recognize maybe it's possible but I also have the certain death of preborn children, and certain death is more important than possible hurt feelings. And that's because yes. I never go to a daycare. I don't go to a place that's made for kids, but I'm going to go to the pro abortion alley. I'm going to go downtown with a place for adults. I don't go to daycares, places for kids. That's I'm not my target, right? So I don't target. Yeah, children. it's not like we're going to like playgrounds or anything no. like that. For us, we're on the streets, and for the most part, kids can't see out of the back seat anyway. Ninety percent of the time, they can't see us. There was one point where. They were telling us, this lady was telling us, you know, she pulled over and was screaming at us that her kid was going to be traumatized. And the, chi- the tra- first of all, the child was still in a rear-facing seat. So, A, can't see very <laughs> much, but also way too tiny to even, you know, I know you can be up in there until like age two, but still at that point, I mean, what are you really, you know? So it's just interesting to me, but I am totally with you. I think that those photos are so important. I'm reading my grandfather's book right now, and he talks a lot about those photos because those were a big part of his kind of where his passion came from and then his activism and everything like that and why he ended up having just all these things. And one thing that he said was, I don't want people when they hear of abortion to think of an abstract choice. Mm -hmm. I want them to think of the bloody reality of a dead baby. And that's harsh, but it's so true. It's so true. And and we've like that's why I think that the photos will always be important. Um, you know, t- definitely context matters. I don't know. I don't, I wonder what you guys think about this. I don't know how I feel about going outside of an, like an abortion clinic with them. I've never done that. I'm interested what you guys think about that and like context and everything. Um, normally it's just the streets for us. What do you what do you think? Guys, it is so important that we do the simple things for the pro-life movement. 
one simple thing that you can do today is supporting this show. There are a couple ways to do that. The first is leaving a rate and review. The second is sharing it with your friends and family. And the third is donating to the show. In the description of the show, there is a link that you can click on that allows you to make a donation. All of these things help me a ton with being able to share this show with more people, getting more people involved in the pro-life movement, and ultimately ending abortion. I want to thank you all for your generosity. It means a lot to me. And now, back into the episode. Yeah, I think Monica Miller wrote a good piece on this. Um, you can find our website, Monica Miller being you know, a friend of your grandpa's, um, someone who's been on, in this fight for a long time. She did a lot of dumpster diving to, they rescued babies that were dead, um, I guess, rescuing them from their from the dumpster grave, putting them in real graves and such. And I think she has a pretty balanced position on this. Two is that it depends a little bit on your access, right? So if you are like right by the door of the abortion facility where you can really talk to women really well and have good communication with her and you can have lit with you that has the pictures inside them so you can still show her what's gonna happen to her baby inside, she would say the signs are maybe not necessary. Now, I'm summarizing here. I don't want to put words in her mouth. It's been a while since I've read it. But my understanding is she would say, if you're right next door, maybe not so necessary. If you're across a parking lot where you know you have to project your voice, and you projecting is not shouting. You can project your voice without shouting them. But it's very easy. Like in our in a Planned Parenthood where we are, the uh, escorts are there, <clears throat> the pro-bush escorts with umbrellas to try to hide them and shield them and stop them from hearing us. You need some way of communicating in a way that is visual to the mother. And so Monica Miller would say if you're across the parking lot or farther away, there's a lot more reason to use abortion victim photos there because the moms need to know what is going to happen when they go inside of there. So we would say that we want to, we, we believe women are, um, are strong, that knowledge is power. We, we should not um, censor from them the truth of what's going to happen in the abortion facility. We can be certain the abortion facility inside is not going to show it to them. So we do use the signs outside abortion facilities, but I think Monica has a balanced position. Their context does matter. I agree with what you say there. Um, are sadly we're not right next door or, or I'm right up by the door at these abortion facilities. We're across parking lots where it's really hard to communicate. So we have the signs there. We also communicate, project our voices. We don't scream. So but I do think that other people, I know they don't agree with us on that. My, my position is always let's do what we think works best. And we have not to delay or detract from our efforts. We still have babies saved and people turn away from the facilities, even using these pictures. And one of our, one of my colleagues who now has spun off to do his own Catholic pro-life uh, uh, ministry, when he started, when he joined us, he said he wasn't in favor of them outside abortion facilities. We'd always learned they shouldn't be there. And he said, I started doing this with you guys. I realized you guys are having the same rate of people changing their minds and turning away and saving their babies than I had before, if not even better. So he realized they weren't at all detracting our efforts. And then he realized he'd become a firm believer in them. So I say wow. use them, but I'm open-minded on that. That's interesting because this past week I was at a an abortion clinic about 45 minutes from my house. We don't have one closer, which is mm. a blessing, but a curse mm. at the same time because they're so you. annoying to get to. Um, but anyways, we were there and the way this abortion clinic is set up, it's like a big old office complex kind of thing. Really sketchy though, not like a new one. And it's, it's a square shape. I'm trying to describe it so like the audience gets it because I'm using my hands. So it's a square shape. And we are on the front, let's say, right corner. And the abortion clinic is the back right corner of the complex. And the parking lot is considered private property. So we have to stand on this very thin plot of grass, which is considered public property. And the abortion escorts stand right next to us. And so, first of all, it's very hard to get our voices above the escorts because they just run up to the car instantly 
And then also it's really hard to have any sort of interaction with the people walking in because the the door entrance to the clinic is so far from where we are. And so I'm sitting there watching nine women in the span of an hour walk in. I don't know if that's high, but it felt like it. And it was just devastating because we couldn't get to them. Like they, they, there was nothing. If we started trying to talk to them, the women, um, the escorts would, would just go right up to them. So I'm wondering, I'm curious um, to try the abortion victim photos. I, I've also been taught not to do the abortion victim photos outside of a clinic, but maybe that could be an answer. I'm not sure. I'd have to do some more research, but I could very well see that helping, especially because we can't get to them. But a picture is worth 10,000 words. It really is. And I think that um, I, we always are big fans of experimentation, trying things, see how they go, right? And then um, see what does the best. We want to do what actually saves the most babies. We don't want to be I, um, partisans like saying our method is the best way. Whatever works best, we're willing to do with people. Um, but we have certainly had women tell us that, you know, when they see this kind of thing, it changes how they think and feel about it. They're not going to pursue it anymore. So we know that when someone's going to an abortion facility, it's not a for a lot of people, it's not a snap decision. They've come to this after some time of considering it. And so if we're going to break through, we have, well, now we hear that we have worse attention spans than a goldfish. Like we have eight seconds to capture someone's attention, if not less than that. And a goldfish has, I guess, nine second attention span. So we're worse than that. So you've got to get through to a moment in a moment. You don't have a lot of time there. So I think the abortion victim photos do that really quickly to them. And we recognize, you know, I know you've had Lauren on your, um, from Sidewalk Advocates for Life on your podcast as well. We, we agree with her that pe- women are thinking, me first, then baby, then God, if God at all, right? So we recognize you want to speak to them in that order. We, we agree with that methodology. We still know there's got to be a way to communicate quickly why this is dangerous for their baby and for them. And sometimes words don't do that as quickly as a picture will. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm definitely trying this fall to experience new activism tactics. I've got a couple ideas in my back pocket, a lot of campus related stuff and things like that. So I'm kind of preparing for all of that. And that will have to go on the list because I'm very interested in trying that. Ultimately, my thing is I just want to save as many people as I can and get as many people involved as possible. And so it's going to be trial and error. And I understand that. And I'm young. So I have hopefully a lot of time to figure it out. So that would be interesting to kind of see how how that would all pan out. So my next question for you, um, let's see. How has this activism impacted your life? Kind of the ups, the downs, the pros and negatives, kind of all of that encompassed into one question. Yeah, and I think that I, I it has really affected almost every area of my life. Um, I love raising my kids in this where they have this, they see what, you can serve God in many vocations. But my kids, when I, every dinner after I come home, it's, how was today to dad? And I said, well, I talked to this person on college campus about this. What do you guys think? And so it really creates a lot of meaningful dialogue with them at a very young level. And I see that really influencing their character in positive ways that God is using that. I have this intense community of the Create Equal staff who have become you know, their brothers and sisters in the Lord. But also, even more importantly, we are, I mean, not more importantly, I don't mean that at all, but we have this unique element. Of we also are, brothers and sisters kind of in a battle together and that really unites you um, in something and so we have this intense community as a staff um but also every day i mean you know when you're not an activist or when you're not really aware of what abortion is it doesn't change the fact that babies are dying when you do what you do you do what i do we also live with this great sense of burden i know that today a couple thousand people are going to die and i'm not doing enough to save them so there's all the positives of you have great community you have this influence on my family also have my own relationship with God has been grown through this but you also have the fact that I live with this great burden that 
other people maybe just aren't aware of. It's true. I mean, that burden is true for all of us. None of us are doing enough to save these babies. But I think I'm, I and you are probably more aware of it. And so there certainly are ups and downs. I live with the knowledge that today, many are dying that I, that I didn't save. And that's a heavy thing. But also at the end of the day, I, I'm just, I know that hope is not the Messiah. Seth is not the Messiah. Jesus is the only Messiah. And so I have to rest the knowledge. I'm not going to save every person. My job is to be faithful to the opportunities he has given to me. And so I think that I just, this kind of lifestyle, I live with a great sense of burden, but also a sense of great rest, knowing that I am doing something that is honoring the Lord that will, that, that matters because, and again, you can serve God in many vocations, but what I'm doing has a clear uh, connection to his command to rescue those being led away to slaughter and to care for the weak and to care for the orphans. So I think there's just a lot of great blessings that come along with being in this kind of work. Yeah, 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 absolutely. I love that. So my next question, sorry, I'm getting through the last couple, but the next question is, what is something you want to see in the future of the pro-life movement? Well, so we've kind of been talking about this, so sorry to repeat myself, but I really would like to see, and this is something that I think has, has improved, um, I would really like to see us continue to put the victims of abortion central. Now, I do understand that, as you said, context matters, so we can discuss what this looks like in various events, but I think our movement sometimes gets a little confused about who really is the central focus, right? This is not about me. It's not about hope. We are whistleblowers. We are people who perceive the injustice and we are picking up the biggest whistle we have and blowing and saying, hey, well, look, we're doing this great, awful, horrible thing. But we know it's not really about us. The story is the victim stories. You know, it's so interesting. So I just last night watched a movie that is very disturbing. Uh, maybe some of your listeners are familiar with it. And that is the Sound of Freedom. So it's this new movie making a lot of waves because it's about sex trafficking. At the end of the movie, Jim Caviezel, who portrays Tim Ballard, the individual who has committed his life to fighting, to rescuing children who are victims of sex trafficking, in the end credits, he has a little um, speech where he says, it's not about Tim Ballard, the real guy I'm portraying. It's not about me, but really it's about those children. Their stories need to be told. Their stories matter. And I think that's so true. Like We wouldn't know about a lot of them if it weren't for Tim Ballard. Tim Ballard is bringing their stories to us, but it's not about him. It's about the children. And the same is true with abortion. You are bringing baby stories to many people through your podcast. We're doing that on college campuses by bringing our display to people, talking to them. But it's not about us. It's about them. And so I think we have to kind of think a little bit about how do we make that clear that, you know, we want we want to be cool. We want to be have fun. What we do, we want to make sure that in all of our efforts, the babies are front and center. And I see sometimes our efforts to take some of our abortion events and make it more about the pro-life people and about the victims themselves by, by censoring them, keeping them away, not letting their ugly faces be seen. And I agree it's hard to see. But I think an event about abortion ought to have victims of abortion there. And some people argue that our picture should never be there. And I think, well, if you're having an event about abortion, it's odd to say abortion victims shouldn't be there. Stephanie Gray Connors wrote a piece years ago saying, if you had a march of any kind for civil rights for African-Americans, you wouldn't say, well, African-Americans who've been beaten or marred through sexism, sorry, through racism shouldn't be there. They'd be the front and center ones there. So I think that we need to make sure that we are putting the victims front and center in this. Now we do matter, we have a place, but it's really about them. And again, I think that back to that movie, Sound of Freedom, for any of your listeners who've seen it, the reason it's making such waves is that it tells the ugly, true stories. It does, it's hard to watch, it's gut-wrenching to watch, but sex trafficking, should be gut-wrenching to us. So when we talk about babies being aborted, how they're aborted, when we see their faces, it is gut-wrenching. But that's 
gut-wrenching for a reason. As your grandfather said, when we think about it, and he told me years ago, I remember talking to him, he said, you know, anyone who has a heart and a brain, when they see what abortion is, it will influence them. I think that's just very, very true. A lot of people have blocked their heart, hidden it, buried it very deep, but it's still there, right? And they've taken their mind, which can easily perceive truth, and they've buried it behind a lot of lies, but their mind is still working. Our job is how can we awaken that conscience by showing the pictures? How can we get their minds to come to what is true by telling the realities of how we scientifically know they're humans by responding to objections they have that would maybe defend abortion? That's what you and I can do, and that doesn't mean we're hateful mean. I know when I go to college campuses, the pictures scream truth. I don't scream. I have to share truth with people by dialoguing with them. So I'd like to see us just emphasize that more. Not, I'm not saying every organization has to use our photos, but every one of us should think, what is my mission? And how can I make sure that I'm not making it about me, but about the babies? Just like, you know, the mom is thinking, mom, baby, God, we need to be thinking baby parents for, um, in that order because babies are primary victims. Parents may be secondary victims. Not all of them are, but they may be. So we've got to make sure we have it the right order. Wow. Yes, absolutely. I'm totally with you on that. I would love to see more of that. I think that you you made some really good points about, you know, putting the abortion victims front and center because that's what this movement is ultimately about. And we need to keep that, um, you know, at the forefront of our minds at all times in any form of activism, whether it's a post, whether it's a podcast, whether it's getting there on the streets, whether it's sidewalk advocating, no matter what kind of activism it is, it is always about these babies and what will benefit them. And then, yes, yeah. secondary, the parents as well. And so, yeah, those were some fantastic points. So my final question for you, kind of similar, but a little bit different, is what is something simple I or the listeners can do for the pro-life movement? All right. So you've already done this, um, Hope, and that is to watch our videos, right? So here's the reason I'm saying this. I don't, I'm not trying to just get more clicks on our YouTube channel, but I think that a lot of people tell me, I would love to talk to people about abortion. I would love to do what you do, but I just don't know where to begin. It's too scary. I don't know how to make the case. I, they, they go to a class. They learn, here's the reasons why abortion is wrong. Here's the answers. But they still think it's, it's like this, it's, it's just too hard to make that jump for them to just knowing why abortion is wrong to talking to people. So on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash created equal films. We have a lot of real conversations we have with people, just video footage of our real dialogue. And you might think, how's it going to benefit the movement? But here's why. If you watch our videos, you realize, I can do that. I mean, Seth is not a genius. His staff members are not anything special. I mean, we, we think we're cool. We're not special, right? We're just normal people talking to other normal people on college campuses and in downtown squares. And if you watch those videos, you will realize, I can really do this. You'll hear yes. the apologetic and real conversations. And you will realize that I can do this. You'll go do it yourself. And so I think it'll benefit the movement because you'll become more emboldened. So watch our videos and learn that you can do this too. That's yes. my recommendation. Yes. No, I, I will vouch for you guys until the end of time. It is absolutely accurate. And so, yeah, no, it, it definitely gave me the confidence and kind of learn how to articulate myself better as well. Um, it has really worked for me. And then also this fall, um, as I'm getting more confidence and a little more of a motivation too, um, I'm, I have every intention of going to campuses this fall and doing outreach, even if I'm just by myself. Obviously, I want to inspire people to come with me, but if that's not the case, I have every intention of bringing just a photo of an abortion victim to a college campus for a couple hours and using those tactics and those conversations, the literature and everything like that to be able to reach these young people. Because high school, college age, they those are the people that we need to be talking to because they're getting the abortions and they're advocating for them. And they also are kind of in this limbo where they haven't made their formal final opinion on it yet or something along those lines and so it's so important 
So that's what I plan on doing. So if anyone's in the Chicagoland area wants to, let me know because that'd be not fun, but good to work together. So Seth, I want to thank you for coming on. I will definitely link Created Equal in the description of the show. Are you public on social media? Is that more your just just your account, or what do you what do you do? I'm public on Instagram and Twitter, but I don't tweet very much. But Instagram, I'm at Seth Dreyer. There, you can find me easily on Instagram. Yeah. Okay, I'll link that as well as well as all of Created Equals things. Again, you guys are doing some amazing work. I'm hoping to connect with you guys this fall as well. But thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Simply Pro-Life podcast. If you like this episode, I encourage you to leave a rate and review and to share the episode. Also, feel free to follow me on social media. It is at Simply Pro-Life on Instagram and at underscore Hope Miller on Instagram. If you want to get on the podcast or have any questions, comments, concerns, go ahead and shoot me an email. It is hope at simplyprolife.org. We'll see you again next week on the Simply Pro-Life podcast. Simply Pro-Life.